Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome to Cinemaholics, the You've Got This Covered podcast. Do not adjust the audio on your your phone. This is uh, Kimber Myers filling in this week as your host um, with two guest hosts. First off, we have uh, returning guest, Alicia Grosso. Hi, Alicia. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fantastic. And then we have a new to the pod, but certainly not new to the film world, Candace Frederick. Hey, y'all. Welcome. Uh, so, Alicia, just for the people that I've, that might have missed your previous appearances on the podcast, where can people find your work after they will inevitably want to do so after listening to you here? Um, I was uh, with Movie Pilot for about five years. Uh, currently, you can find me with Forbes, um, Film School Rejects, Birth Movies Death, uh, a little bit of Screen Rant, and on Twitter, as I am very active on Twitter. <laughs> Probably more than it should be. <laughs> and Candace, how about you? Where can people find your writing? Um, you can find me kind of all over the place at the moment. I'm freelance, so we all know that freelance Yay. struggle. So <laughs> it's... Um, so uh, Harper's Bazaar, Vice, Broadly, um, also at Birth Movies Death, um, uh, Slash Film. Um, those are today with you. Awesome. And you are real talk- at Real Talk Online on Twitter? Real Talker. Real Talker. Great. Thank you for, <laughs> for the, uh, the correction there. And I'm on the playlist and the LA Times. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Um, Normally, the guys go through um, a segment called Off Topics and discuss all of the the big movie news and really go deep, do a deep dive on on some stuff. But we actually have two main reviews this week. So we're going to to skip that. Um, And the first one we're going to kick things off with is Hereditary. And then we will dive into Ocean's 8. These seem like two good movies to discuss in general, but also with our ladies night version of Cinemaholics. So kicking things off with Hereditary, which is I think where we should um, if you're going to do a double feature with Hereditary and Ocean's 8, definitely start with the like wonderful, but at least in my mind, but serious downer <laughs> that is Hereditary, and then go a little lighter. Yeah. Um, I actually did that yesterday. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. So, um, Alicia, fresh off your, your viewing yesterday, well, actually, let me explain for those of you that are unfamiliar with Hereditary a little bit about the movie. Um, this means that you haven't had nightmares from the trailer yet. Um, so this is the debut film from director and writer Ari Aster. And I don't want to give away too much. We can do a little bit of a a spoiler section, um, but you should go into this movie as um, fresh as possible, which we're obviously going to screw up by talking about it here. (laughs) But uh, Tony Collette stars as um, Annie Graham, who's an artist, and her family um, undergoes a series of tragedies, starting off with the death of her mother, um, who, while she was alive, 
um, had a, num- a number of mental illnesses, um, and she is joined in her grief by her husband, played by Gabriel Byrne, uh, her teenage son, Peter, played by Alex Wolf, and her 13-year-old daughter, Charlie, played by Millie Shapiro. And um, stuff gets real weird from there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so Candace, what did you think about Hereditary? Did you see it at any of the festivals, or did you watch it more recently? I saw it, um, I guess that was like two weeks ago now, two or three weeks ago, um, at the Vulture, as part of the Vulture, the Vulture Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, so I, I saw it there and I also attended a Q&A that was right after the screening with um, Melanie and Alex. Um, and Ooh. so that was also very interesting to see, to hear their thoughts on their two um very wild ro- um, roles and performances and their uh, interpretation of the story as well, which I think is, I think one of the things that I love, I, I watch a lot of horror. And one of the things I loved about hereditary is I was talking to my friend last night over dinner and she does not do horror films. And so I, and I hate do I hate spoilers. And so <laughs> I'm always like, you know, very, very cagey when it comes to plot details for people who haven't seen it, but she wanted me to spoil the whole thing. And, and she <laughs> yanked out like the entire plot after like, after we had a margarita, then the whole plot was basically divulged on the table. <laughs> um, and so say that all to say, as I was t- talking to her about it, I realized how particularly those last the last 30 minutes of the movie I think is really really up to like some interpretation just because there's a lot of new there's a lot of there's a lot of concepts that they just introduced very late in the movie uh-huh. which is my gripe about the movie I thought otherwise it's fantastic um I, I it's deeply disturbing um in the best way possible <laughs> it's exactly how I like my horror movies um I I was really kind of taken by the themes of like mental illness and demonization and um, the relationship between the, the really the emphasis on motherhood, but in a really obviously non-traditional way, Tony Collette, who I think is just brilliant all the time was astounding in this role. Um, she is just, um, she's so unhinged but she's so trying to like hang on to like the little bit of sanity that might be inside her um and i think she i think at some point she really does think that she's trying to protect her children um and her particularly her son and and so it's just hard destroying him (laughs) <laughs> well, because I do think because she's really, really, really like, I want to protect you. Like, she's always got this plan that like, if we do this one thing, then you'll like survive and it'll be great. And this will be like the, the the remedy of all of our craziness that's surrounding us. But she is actually the common denominator of all the crazy. <laughs> she's just not willing to accept that. But I, I, I loved it. All that I, I think I described it. I think I tweeted yesterday something like hereditary is what happens when you take 
like Wendy Torrance from The Shining and drop her into the middle of a love child between a rose for Emily and the Babadook and with <laughs> something else thrown in. I don't even know what it is, but it's messed up. I did not say messed up. I used, I said effed up. Um, and then I was like, maybe a little bit of mother. Like, it's just, I, the acting was phenomenal. There's, there's the one scene that, um, uh, uh, Tony Collette is in, and this isn't really a spoiler, but she goes to, you know, the, the grief, um, uh, like therapy group and that one scene where she gives that monologue Ugh. she goes through about half a dozen different emotions in one scene and it's I just watched that I was just mesmerized but I don't know like hats off to Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne and especially Alex Wolf because that cannot have been an easy movie to film at all like I was, I was like, dang, I was like the Jumanji kids really like bringing it, you know, and his, his <laughs> acting, like I did not see this coming. Um, but I've never I, seen it before. Yeah. He's in, he was in the, the, the Jumanji that just came out a few months ago. He was the, the lead kid. Um, but I, yeah, I walked out of that theater and it was kind of funny cause you know, living in LA, like everybody here, um, I'm pretty lucky because there are a lot of, you know, movie nerds here and cinephiles and people in the industry and, I walked out of the theater and I don't know what look I had on my face <laughs> because I was walking away and uh, from the, the theater and up the, up the street and some guy came up to me. He was like, are you okay? And I was like, I just saw hereditary. And he goes, he goes, Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> been there, been there. I get it. And <laughs> I started laughing. So I was like, okay, apparently there's just like hereditary face now. <laughs> Just the look you have when you're walking out of hereditary, just trying to process what you saw. So, um, yeah, I thought the, I thought the, the third act, um, went a little off the rails. Like you were saying, Candace, it introduced some things really late. Um, and I almost feel like, um, I know, you know, our, the director was saying that he had gotten kind of tired of, of years of trying to push like family dramas and like psychological thrillers and not really getting anywhere. So I wonder almost if this was a concession to make this movie a little bit more of a pure horror film or leaning more toward that genre than the weird psychological thriller that it was for like the third, like the first two thirds of the movie. Um, because I've, I, I really enjoyed it all the way through, but I would have appreciated, I think, if some of the elements they introduced later in the movie had just stayed out of the movie completely. Um, but I was, I definitely walked out of it. Just it, it's yeah. <laughs> what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I was just like, I saw it with two other film people and, and, and they also are two, there are two other film people, but they're, they are not into horror so they were looking at me and I also was sitting in the in between them because they they wanted a stable force <laughs> as they watched the movie and I was just like there's some there's just some stuff in that movie that I couldn't have possibly have ever been prepared for <laughs> this one particularly this one scene in particular like I thought was uh just because it just it just um reminds me, I think as a viewer and maybe a lot of other people feel this way that when what Ari was so good at is really showing a lot of subtle scares in mm -hmm. places in the screen that you're not really expected to look, when, when you're not really conditioned to look. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. my focus is generally in the middle of the screen 
and then like it's and it's quite dark the entire movie like lit uh lit very darkly and so there is one particular scene that i was really just focused i'll just say on the sun sleeping bed and that's all i was i was, was, I was not <laughs> I know I saw what you are talking about and I immediately looked down in my lap because I was like, nope. Mm-mm. I was like, I, nope. Maybe this makes me a bad film critic. I'm like, but I can't. I know. Like, nope. So I, I didn't, um, I didn't notice anything for a while for a good 30 seconds or, or a minute. Cause I was looking at this one focal point and then yeah. I heard a gas in the theater and then I was just like, what are we looking at? Like, is there something else that we should be looking at? And, I kind of like peruse the entire parameter of the screen. And I was just like, oh. yeah, <laughs> I liked I, hearing the cascade of, of gasps, both in that yeah. scene and in um, one of the scenes toward the end where it has kind of a similar element where you see something mm-hmm. out of the corner of your eye. Um, I liked hearing the cascade of gasps throughout the, the theater um, as people saw what Aster was directing you to see or letting you see, I guess he was, he was kind of waiting for it to, to sneak up on you. And I thought it was very well done in that way. I apparently, I I saw sitting next to, um, I went to a press screening and sat next to a a friend who's also a critic. And he said that I watched the entire movie with my hands, like over my face. Like I, (laughs) I, like my eyes were open. I was watching the whole time, but I was just in utter horror for over two hours i yeah i don't get shocked often by movies like i i will be like oh wow they went there oh you know but it's it's rare that i truly go like oh my god they went there and the one scene about a third of the way from the movie that is the you know i don't want to say the climactic scene but it, it it's the scene that triggers the moment that triggers everything else that happens yeah um and it's you know a truly horrifying scene that moment was when my hands flew to my mouth and I just went like oh my god and I could hear everybody in the theater around me do the same thing and then it was just silence and then the scene you know immediately after that moment happens and it zeroes in on the son's face like just pin drop and I glanced around I was really curious I went by myself yesterday for like a matinee and I glanced around and you could see everybody just sitting there just like hands over their mouth just (laughs) <laughs> because it it and I don't want to say this without spoiling it. Um, I mean, are we? How are we? How deep are we going to spoilers here? Let's let's wait a few more minutes before we spoil. But I think we sh- we have to get into spoilers because I don't know how you really talk about this movie with yeah. without <laughs> spoiling it at least at any any length. But okay, um, I'll, I'll wait. Yeah. Then I'll just say that in that <laughs> moment, I was very impressed that he had the audacity to kind of break one of the almost like fundamental tenets of filmmaking about things you don't like places you just don't go in a movie. And he was like, Nope, we're going there and it's going to be horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're talking about the same thing because there's a lot of rules <laughs> that he breaks in this movie. That's true. That's but true. <laughs> but I, I'll say particularly, and, I'll, and I've said this also about the Babadook, which I freaking love that movie. Yeah. Um, the this whole sense of disturbing what we um, have come to expect from mothers on screen, like mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. If this is I'm gonna I'm gonna quote like I, I, there's no context here, but <laughs> I'll just say there's a moment in the movie where Annie, played by 
Tony Collette, the mom, tells her son, this is a paraphrase, now I can't remember the actual quote, but she says something along the lines of, I, I didn't want you. <sighs> and I just tried to mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, um, things like that, like in the Babadook was just very like, it, it was one of those times in, particularly in modern horror filmmaking, where you see a mother not really care about their child like that. <laughs> like, you know, not really, you know, ha- say the right things. Like the mother is always supposed to protect her cubs and she just, you know, was in uh, contrary to that, both her as well as um, the character in the Bible. Yeah, and I, I thought that was the brilliance of Tony Collette's performance because then a minute later she was like, I have to protect him. I, I do love him. I need to, you know, take care of him. And she oscillated back and forth between just brutal, like like detached coldness or or fury to like intense love and like desire to protect. And she was, you know, you'd see her cycling like through the manic and the she did mania so well. And I, I just, yeah, there were so many times in the movie I watched and I just thought, God, these performances must've just been exhausting for the actors. Like they all deserve credit for, for what they brought to the table. That's exactly the word that Alex Wolf used in that Q&A. He's like, I was completely exhausted. And he also went, um, however opinion you have on this, but he went completely method for the role. He just completely disguised this entire shoot even off, off shoot. <laughs> so, which I can't imagine being in, in this state for a perpetual amount of time. That sounds like just agony, but he put himself in that moment. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's even as someone who just, my experience with it was watching it for, for two hours a few weeks ago and it has still like stuck with me. I'll be just like thinking about stuff and some of the images will come up totally unrelated to, to what was on my mind. So I cannot imagine actually inhabiting and dwelling in it for weeks and months. Yeah, I just, I am even more impressed with, with everyone in the cast knowing that, cause this, this is, is a rough one, but in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. I kept waiting for Gabriel Byrne to like, I don't know. He he was also fascinating too in a low key way because he was so he was like the only sane person in the family, and and but he was so ineffective and so just kind of noncommittal and just neutral that you just you you I found myself getting angry with him because I wanted to be like just do something like do something to hold your family together instead of but you but he also played that role of a husband who was just so tired like a man who was just so tired of being the the balancing force that he just didn't have anything left to give. Um, and so I thought he did a really kind of quietly great job as well. While most of the focus is on, you know, understandably Tony Collette and Alex Wolf's performance. I feel like he did a really good job of being that kind of balancing force in the middle where you, he really got you to see like just how exhausting this would be for your average person trapped in this situation. Absolutely. Um, so before we dive into spoilers, I wanted to discuss a little bit. So we're recording this on Saturday before all of the, uh, before the box office for the weekend uh, comes out tomorrow. But the, the early numbers for this are pretty good. It's tracking to make $12 million, which for a movie that was made for five, um, I think it was five is, is very solid. 
But uh, they also released the Cinema Score this morning, which for people who aren't familiar with Cinema Score, it's a uh, tracking survey that um, releases information around audience feedback for uh, every major release. And it's scored on an A to an F. You have to work really hard to get an F. I think there's only something like 12 or 13 films in the history of Cinema Square that have gotten it, um, including last year's mother, uh, if that says oh. anything right. Uh, <laughs> but Hereditary got a D plus. Um, what do you guys think about that? What do you think it says about what A24, the distributor, is is doing with the film? Do we think it's going to to really repel a lot of people? Is that the goal of the movie? I'd just love to hear. Do we think the cinema score even matters? But <laughs> I, Well, I can't say that I've ever actually... I haven't ever actually checked a cinema score. I haven't noticed it. And when I was looking for something else, I stumbled upon it, but I've never actually checked, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it probably does weigh heavily for a lot of other people though. I, I'm kind of perplexed on where, how, but you know, it's all subjective. You can't really like determine what, how people arrived at this response. Yeah. But um, I, I know, and I'll just continue to say forever, this will be on my tombstone, <laughs> that genre films constantly get more slack than any other film, uh, particularly horror films. It's still considered a garbage genre. Yeah. And that's, that's something that really bothers me, has always bothered me, you know, and again, it's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> I, I feel like... Um... I feel like as well where this movie may run into trouble is it's not a pure, I mean, we've seen a lot of arguments in recent years. Every time a movie comes out that is horror, I call it, you know, horror plus it's horror, but it's something else. Like, and, and I think people going into this, you know, your general audience going into this thinking it's going to be a straightforward jump scare kind of, you know, cathartic horror movie. It's not that, and it is not an easy movie to watch. So I can understand why, you know, you're not casual moviegoers, but, but kind of non-film critics and non, you know, arty um, moviegoers walking out of this might give it a lower score because it's not, it's not a movie like with catharsis or where you walk out feeling like scared, but kind of laughing at yourself. Like it's, you're profoundly uncomfortable the entire time you're watching this. And I don't think people going into this thinking it's going to be when, when all the hype, you know, it's the scariest movie. Like I don't think people are expecting how brutal some of the scenes are and how intensely uncomfortable it is to watch. So I can, I can see people going into this expecting one thing and then feeling almost blindsided by it. Yeah. Agreed. Um, So before we go into spoilers, what would you give this as a letter grade Candace? Um, I would get it, and this is only because of the one grip that I mentioned earlier, I would give it, um, uh, it's so astoundingly good in, in <laughs> every other area. Uh, I, B plus. And yeah. Yeah. How about you, Alicia? Um, I think I'm about the same only because the, I think, like I said, the, the last third of it goes off the rails a little bit and honestly the very last scene really undermined a lot of it for me like I wish we didn't have any of that scene at all I thought it was stupid um so I would say like if if that scene did not 
exist from like, we'll say from the treehouse on didn't exist, I would give it an A um, because that scene exists and that's the last thing you're left with. I would go with, yeah, like B, B plus. Yeah. I'm in the, the B plus crowd as well. So let's dig into spoilers. I feel like that's the perfect time to talk about that. Um, in particular, that bonkers off the rail last bit. Yes. Can we? Yes, please. So if you do not want to be spoiled, skip ahead about five minutes um, and you'll get the like soothing glee of Ocean's 8. We'll, uh, we'll see you shortly. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been warned. That's, let's talk about first off that um, the scene in the treehouse. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I don't know what to say about that scene right. only because it's like I like at that point I was just kind of like okay I mm, I don't know if I'm on board with this like I wish this would have ended five minutes ago. Yeah. So uh, I mean I. I didn't, I was still so, so into this ride that I, I wanted the film to last forever, but I also didn't want it to do this. So like if it was going to last mm-hmm. forever, it couldn't go here. Like, I just remember thinking really hard <laughs> while I was, while I was watching those last like 30 minutes, I was just like, what are yeah. you talking about right now? Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to, and they're throwing so much at us and I'm like, fool. What? <laughs> Who are these people? What is happening? Why are they naked? Who is this again? Who is this this character they keep talking about? Are we supposed to know this? It, it made me think, did I miss, did I like blink and miss yeah. some other reference to any of this earlier in the movie? Uh, and it was just so, so unnecessary to do any of it. <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, it felt like the whole movie, like the whole, like 95% of the movie was show, don't tell. Yeah. And then like the last five minutes are like, we're just going to just blatantly explain and show. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is very weird. This is very different than the rest of the movie and doesn't seem. So again, like watching this, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how much of this was his, you know, his actual Aster's decision and how much of this was maybe like a 24 going like, mm, we need a little bit more definitive horror or clearer or, you know, why she's doing this because otherwise it's just too horrifying to think, but I'm, I'm not sure. But a 24 is usually pretty good at, you know, kind of going different places. So I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I definitely would, it would be a shock for me to think this was A24's decision because it seems yeah. identical to what they would do and what they've been about. But uh, it, oh, and this is, this is going to sound more of an insult than it's supposed to be. I just can't think of another comparative way to describe it. But um, so it reminded me of, in, it reminded me of bad M. Night Shyamalan movies. But it's not near as bad as any <laughs> anti movie. So I want to be super clear on yeah. that. It is nowhere near that level. It's just in this way where back when I was watching M. Night Shyamalan movies, I do not anymore. <laughs> but back when I did, it was always the premise was so good. It sucked you in. 
And then he starts to explain what happened. And I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. well, what are you talking about now? And this is kind of one of those moments, but I still think that there's such, so, so much higher quality here storytelling than there has ever been in any more recent M. Night Shyamalan movie that is not called The Sixth Sense. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I was, yeah, I was just really struck by that. I was like, this like, cause now we're in spoilers. So this is the ritual there. They introduce this character, his name. I keep on thinking the character. I can't think of the character's name yeah. though. Paimon. Paimon. Yeah. The sun is supposed to be this, this thing, this demon, this person, this bad character. Like vessel for him. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But also there's like a gender swap. Like, oh, you know, uh, like this, this demon character needs a new form was the old form the mom is that what we're that's what i was guessing because i'm like oh maybe but then i also kind of resented the implication that like she was too frail to handle his massive badass demonness you know i'm just like (laughs) oh cool yeah females with our frail little psyche you know like we can't handle it so it was a little it was i don't know i just feel like it was really like paint by numbers in that last scene where they, where they left you to guessing they were trying to over explain everything. Yeah. It didn't fit with the rest of the movie for me at all. I preferred the, like, it's not that the rest of the movie didn't go there because it absolutely offered some really horrifying images and took your mind to places. It doesn't necessarily want to go willingly. Um, but yeah, that last bit, especially in the treehouse with like the decapitated bodies bowing down <laughs> to Paimon, like I, I did appreciate though it, to me, that was far less disturbing than the two hours that came before it. And so I was like, yeah, I, I feel a little better now. <laughs> Cause even when like the weird stuff started happening and you're sitting there and you're like, we were talking earlier about like the scenes where it draws your attention to the, the sun and not necessarily what's happening up in the corners um, and like weirdness started happening. Even then it was like, okay, so you start thinking about, or at least I did, I started thinking about the title of the movie and how it was, had different layers. Like, okay, it's hereditary. Like, okay. Mental illness is hereditary. Is her son now hallucinating or, but it's also hereditary that this crazy cult like thing is passed down to him too now. And like, it's still affecting. So is she crazy? Is he also crazy? Are they both crazy? It's just, or are they not like, is this really happening? And then at the end it was just, I still don't know if he was crazy or if it was actually (laughs) happening. Like, I still don't know. I, I always thought that hereditary, which I, which I thought was interesting that hereditary was something that affected the women in the family. It seemed like both the grandmother, the mother and the daughter and somehow evaded the son. But I was also reading, well, actually, no, I was also uh, listening to when Alex um, and Melon were talking about uh, Ari's previous films. And a lot of them have, a lot of them um, uh, really center the son almost as, a central character who uh, horror is happening around him in the peripheral. And that seems to be duplicated here that he's trying to get out of this horrible cycle of crazy women, essentially. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, I probably read very deeply into it and, but, but 
that's that was that was I was kind of collecting all this information, and that was kind of one of the things that struck me. Um, I, and I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> Speaking of kids, can can we talk about the one scene that is that I was I was talking about earlier? I was surprised by um, that he went there. Yeah, let's the, let's dig into that. The car scene. Um, I, you knew bad things were going to happen and it was like, oh no, you know, like, please tell me she doesn't. But then the way she died was so unexpected and jarring and just absolutely horrific. And it's something that you, even in horror movies, there seems to be a, there seems to be a kind of unspoken rule that you don't mess with the kids. Like horrible things can happen to kids and they can be scared, but you do not show the brutal death of a child. You just don't like, that. just seems to be like the one rule that is very rarely crossed in filmmaking. And I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. That was horrifying. Like that's one of the most horrifying. And then focusing in on his face afterward, like just the emotions playing over his face and just the complete shock and just numbness and, you could just see his brain like refusing to process and it was such a powerful scene, but it was just like pin drop. Like again, like everybody's like hands from their mouths. You could hear the collective gasp and then nothing just silence. And then people were like, and I heard like around the theater, like, I feel like, Oh my God, did he really, Oh my God. Like, and just, and actually somebody got up and left after that scene. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. the fact that you, after that scene, which is awful and it's followed up by um, one of the most, intense depictions of grief. I think I've, I've seen on screen courtesy of, of Tony Collette, who's just really yeah. wonderful trying to process this thing that can't be processed. You think that you have escaped without actually seeing the, the horror, but no Aster like surprises you and is like, no, here is, here is the severed head of a child crawling with ants. I, I will never get over that image. Like I always think about, I grew up in a really, conservative uh home and my parents are always like oh you can't ever unsee what you see in the movie so we're really careful about what you guys watch and I was like that's that's silly and now I'm like no my parents are right I will never be able to unsee that it'll be with me for decades Mm -hmm. and the opposite of that too with like Alex Wolf his character just like couldn't deal like he was the way he just you could just see like a kid's mind that just, he was like, Nope. Like I just, he just shut down. Like the fact that he just on autopilot, like drove home because what do you do when you're a kid and something that horrific happens, you run to your parents and he just like, he just could not deal. And, and and it, it floored me that it, it, they actually depicted it that like, he just didn't tell anybody until the next day. Like he just shut down and was like, Nope, I can't deal. I'm just going to go to bed. He never told anybody ever. He discovered <laughs> mm-hmm. it for himself. That, so here's the So I, I was telling my friend about this whole thing. And my friend also has an allergy to nuts. And so she was just like, what? <laughs> this whole time. Right. And, was, and I was talking to her. Like I started at the party and did scene by scene. And she's like, don't tell me something's going to happen with the cake. Don't tell me something's going to happen with the car. Like she kept on trying to interrupt me, trying to figure out like what I was going to say next. I was like, there is literally, I can't even prepare you for what's going to happen. 
it has nothing to do with the peanuts either. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I told the peanuts her, are a misdirect. Yeah. Right. Right. And so uh, I think I so I remain deeply disturbed by his reaction to mm-hmm. her death. That is that, that to me. I've never seen anything like that. Where yeah. like you're gonna leave anybody could have came across that in the car anybody you're just gonna leave it exactly the way you found it and go upstairs quit on your pajamas and say i'm just gonna go to sleep i don't even i I see to me it wasn't that he was like avoid but like tony you know tony collette she yells at him for like avoiding responsibility because nobody ever owns up to what they do and she's justified there but to me it was the moment of this kid who I don't even know if it's that he was avoiding responsibility like because at first you're like oh god he's gonna be in so much trouble at this party and then it gets so much worse as much as he just literally just shuts down like he doesn't even know how to begin to process or deal like and I think if I hadn't seen that scene if it hadn't spent time focusing on his face right after it happens when you can see him just not being able to process like he just like unable to deal I think I would have felt less sympathetic for him, but it's still a very weird reaction and shows how this family just is not, they just do not cope with things in healthy ways. No. <laughs> like none of that. Which, which, and also just to kind of go back to what you were saying about Kibu Burns' character, who I had, I had some issues with. Not, not, not to say, like, like he was great. The storytelling was great. I'm just like, I'm like putting myself in the situation. I'm just like, oh, this guy's so infuriating. Just because I think, just to kind of also kind of be in his defense, that he was allowing his wife to grieve over two major things that just happened, two major deaths in her life. Um, and I and I think that kind of contributed to his what I what I describe as distance to his just like let me just let these things continue to happen until it's comes too much for me and when it became too much for him was too late <laughs> at that point it was too late for him um and so think, yeah yeah I think to me I almost saw though that like he tried to comfort her but she kept shutting him out and there was that one moment where she got up and she left to go to the treehouse and I I kind of got mad at her because I was like I was like, lady, he's grieving too. Like he lost his child too. You know, like you need to be there for your husband and not just your husband trying to be the one holding the family together. Like you got to step up and try to do this as well. And she was so up in her own grief and her own feelings that she didn't give a crap about her husband or her son at all. And I, I felt myself appreciating every time that Gabriel Burns character would be like, you have a son as well. Like, and he is still alive and he needs you. And she just never seemed to care. Like the, the one scene I thought was really painful was where she was um, making that uh, the miniature and of the, of the accident. She was just like, what? I'm just presenting the facts. And it was just like, lady, how can you not understand how devastating this would be for your son to see this? And she just, it, it's yeah. Like the coldness in her is, is truly something to behold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, that is uh, hereditary, which I think we're <laughs> all in agreement that you should definitely see with the disclaimer that um, it, it might mess you up a bit, both during and after. <laughs> yes. 
Awesome. Well, we are going to say goodbye to Candace, but thank you so much for, for joining us. It was, it was awesome to, to have you here. And I'm, I'm sure the, uh, the regular hosts would love to have you back as well. I'd love to be back. And thank you so much for the invite. No, no problem. Excited to, to chat film with, with smart people mm. all the time. So <laughs> great. Thanks so much, Candace. And we will now dive into Ocean's 8. Yay! <laughs> so, uh, for anyone who is unfamiliar with um, Ocean's 8, if they have not seen the um, posters and trailers plastering everywhere, um, it is the latest film in the Ocean's 11 series. This is the first, not directed by Steven Soderbergh, this one's directed by Gary Ross. Um, and rather than going with the all male, team from the first three films. This spinoff focuses on an all-female team led by Sandra Bullock, who plays Danny Ocean's sister, Debbie. And the heist that she wants to pull off, which she plots while she's in, in prison, is that she wants to steal a necklace from uh, the Met Gala, which is this um, enormous, elegant, glitzy party uh, held every year in New York City at the Met Museum. And she pulls together a team that includes her uh, previous partner and friend and nightclub owner, Lou, played by Kate Blanchett. It also includes um, Mindy Kaling as Amita, who is a jeweler, Sarah Paulson as Tammy, who is a fence, Aquafina as Constance, who is a, um, my brain just died as a thief, as a pickpocket. Um, Rihanna is a, a hacker named Nineball. Helena Bonham Carter is a fashion designer played, uh, named Rose. And then finally, they hope to dupe an actress uh, played by Anne Hathaway. Um, into wearing a necklace that they will then steal. Um, I hope I got all of the the eight in that rundown. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that is the the quick and dirty rundown of Ocean's Eight. Alicia, what did you think? I really enjoyed Ocean's Eight. Um, I've seen a lot of people complaining that um, the one thing they don't like about the movie is that it is a little bit too, it goes a little bit too easily for them. Uh, and that's valid. Uh, I, I totally get that for me though. I love like one of the subgenres that I'm such a sucker for is the heist movie, the movie where you have a team of wildly disparate, you know, people like each with their own role and they come together with this elaborate master plan. Like that's, that's my kryptonite. I will watch a movie like that every time whether it's this or like gone in 60 seconds or even like the a team um or like mission impossible like i just love movies like that and so um i just enjoyed watching the way all the pieces came together uh but i can see why people didn't wanted a little bit more stakes but i thought it was a lot of fun i loved sandra bullock and kate blanchett together um i love their relationship and i like wanted every costume, oh like every piece of clothing. I wanted, I wanted like the, the costuming of this costume design is, was incredible for this movie. Agreed. I was like, I, in my review, which I did for the playlist, I 
half joked that I almost gave it an eight just based on the costumes alone. They're really incredible and are so specific to each of the characters. Um, so a shout out to Sarah Edwards who did the the costumes here mm-hmm. um, and just did a really beautiful job. As, like everyone looks great and everything's very specific, which I appreciate. But in particular, I think Kate Blanchett's Lou really gets some amazing stuff. Apparently there were um, a lot of Burberry suits. So she's in like a green velvet suit that is insane. And then this like pastel blue one with amazing buttons. And yeah, it's, and this says nothing of the actual gowns at the Met Gala. Which I got to see. They're all actually on display. Have you seen it? The the Arclight? No. In, um, the Arclight in Hollywood. Um, all their gowns and the the Toussaint diamonds uh, that they use the are on display. Which, across from Deadpool and Dominus costumes, so it's a really weird, like <laughs> really weird cognitive dissonance there. But it's really cool to see. I have to say that seems unfair because so I'm in New York and Alicia is in. LA, it seems unfair because the movie is set here. So mm-hmm. we should have all of that stuff. Well, but you got all the press stuff though. So you got to actually true. do all the cast stuff. So that we got the costumes, true. you got the cast. <laughs> this might be the one time where I might've preferred the costumes, but um, yeah. even with the, the killer cast here, which is, is really great. Did you have a, a favorite member of the cast? Um. I liked all of them, but I'd I'd have to say Lou. Like, I love Sandra Bullock and everything, but I think Kate Blanchett, just the way she played Lou with such swagger. Yeah. And and kind of, um, this is probably going to come out wrong, but the way she, the way she kind of telegraphed aspects of herself without having to be blunt and like come right out and be like, this is, I really appreciated the way they described the relationship between Debbie and Lou Mm -hmm. and they made it clear the type of relationship it was, but it wasn't like, it was just normal. It was just, you know, I I think it's more representation that we need to see. And yeah, I just, I just really love the way that Kate Blanchett played Lou with this, like just kind of straightforward swagger. Like you, you rarely see women on screen play roles and I keep using this word, but play roles like with swagger. Yeah. And she did the way she sat, the way she moved. It was always like arms and legs akimbo. It was always like arms akimbo and like legs, you know, uh, like man spreading almost. And like the way she, (laughs) the way she like took up space uh, on the screen and the way she, she walked, like it wasn't a walk. It was a stride. And she just has Kate Blanchett just has such magnetism and whatever role she's in but the way she played this with just the way she held her body was just such an interesting character and just one you rarely see women play yeah it was very rock star-esque like mm-hmm. she i there was so much magnetism in what she brought to the role and it was great to see her play off of sandra bullock who was great but it was just such a different intentionally a different type of of part which i I really appreciate it. I also, I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of people have been talking about Anne Hathaway here, who is... Oh, God, yeah, she was great. Having so much fun playing this very spoiled, very selfish, pouty actress, and yet, like, making no apologies for any of it. Um, 
is just, I, I also have gotten annoyed lately. People are like, oh, Anne Hathaway is so good. I'm like, yeah, she's been good for decades. For, for, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. I feel like she played the role. Like, I feel like Anne Hathaway, like, cause I saw it, I saw it, uh, I screened it. And then I saw it again last night with friends. Um, because everybody, you know, kind of was like, well, let's just go see Ocean's 8. So we saw it again, which again was really trippy seeing Hereditary and then Ocean's 8. <laughs> um, but I feel like she was playing that role in like, she was playing the character, an exaggerated version of the character that everybody that hates her for whatever reason, I've never understood the Anne Hathaway hate like thinks that she is yeah like she's almost like okay this is the character you all think i actually am in her life let me actually play that character and just have a lot of fun with it it is so infectious and i just loved watching her and i'm i'm with you like i i don't understand the the hate for for her and i i hope that this I want to naively believe that this will like hope dislodge or will hopefully dislodge a bit of that but but no better that the people who are against her for whatever reason probably aren't going to be yeah moved by yeah. this. Which... I went on a little bit of an Anne Hathaway kick after I screened Ocean's Eight um, a couple weeks ago, and then I so I went and I watched Colossal, oh. uh, The Devil Wears Prada, and The Dark Knight Rises. So I, three very different movies, um, and I was just like, she's good in all of them. Yeah, she is phenomenal in every single movie, and she plays such a different character. I don't understand where the hate comes from, and I almost wonder if it's that she's so she almost is like so doe-eyed and like and and pretty and wholesome and sweet looking that people almost want to hate her because they're like oh she's so saccharine or she's so I'm like I've never gotten the sense that no. she's saccharine if anything Anne Hathaway in her last for years now has been stepping into roles where she's playing kind of unlikable characters or like kind of um you know like there's there's not sweetness to her at all really other other than maybe like the devil wears prada yeah but colossal in particular really leaning into the exact opposite of that and doing it so well mm-hmm. but yeah i loved Anne hathaway in this as well i thought she and kate blanchett probably had like the most fun like they had the characters that were the most well i think mm-hmm. um Debbie Ocean was a little bit harder because she, the way Sandra Bullock played her was a lot more, it was a lot more Soderberghian, I think, like Uh almost like more understated. Like I was going back and watching the differences, you know, between Soderbergh and Ross. Cause again, after I watched Ocean's 8, I went back and watched all the Ocean's movies and it's like watching an approximation of Soderbergh, but there's a a lot of the Soderberghian like touches, like Mm -hmm. the kind of, the communication and the conversations without words or the one side of conversation where, um, which happened between Danny ocean and rusty a lot, which was where Danny would be saying something or Rusty would be saying something and the other one wouldn't be responding, but the, the other person would react as if they had. Um, I didn't see a lot of that there. There was a lot more like there was a lot less um, unspoken communication between them, which I thought was interesting. Because I thought that was more how women communicate in reality. Yeah, I thought it was If that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Um, no one who's listening can see us now, but we're like communicating without words, even though we're on different coasts. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this was directed by Gary Ross, and he co-wrote the screenplay with Olivia Milch, who um, hasn't had a lot of um, credits to date. Like, this is her first one she did 
um, also had a story by credit on a film called dude, um, that she directed, but I was, I really enjoyed the script here. I thought it was very fun and funny and it did a great job of establishing who these eight women are in both in terms of the team, how they're different from each other and both their skills as well as their personalities. Um, and really played to, to each of the actresses that were, were playing them. I, as, also want to give a little shout out to Aquafina, who's mm-hmm. so funny and has great timing and delivery. And um, if people have not seen her stuff on YouTube, she's absolutely worth checking out there. And um, it makes me even more excited for her to be in Crazy Rich Asians coming out in a couple of months. And also, I'm I'm down to watch Helena Bonham Carter play just oh. like a spacey, <laughs> like eccentric. Like I will watch Helena Bonham Carter in anything. But I love Helena Bonham Carter. And again, I feel like almost she was playing a character of what people think she is. Yeah. Like with just the spacey, like the, 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 when she, the part when they're trying to scan the diamonds and, you know, Mindy Kaling, Amita, she's like, it's her process. And I just thought, <laughs> oh my God, I don't know of any other actress that would have been more perfect for this role than Helena Bonham Carter, just playing this spacey, eccentric, like fragile, you know, Irish uh, designer. She was great. Yeah, the casting here is is really great at every every single level from both the like kind of co-leads of Bullock Blanchett and Hathaway all the way down is is really really nice. It's like I I I did not see Battleship, but I really liked Rihanna here. I mm-hmm. thought that her like deadpan DJF method of delivering lines uh worked really well with her character nine ball yeah she's and then i love to so she's very like glammed down the entire film and is very very chill but when she shows up in her gown at the gala yeah like the people at my screening like gasped or maybe it was just like me gasping really loud but i thought that there were other people echoing me that but she is is absolutely stunning on top of just um, being a really nice addition to the cast here. I would probably commit murder to have Sandra Bullock's costume from the Met Gala. Oh my God. Like that dress was <laughs> amazing. I also was floored. They actually even got Anna Wintour. Like the first time I watched, I was like, is that, I was like, Oh, it's probably an actress in a way. I was like, Oh my God. No, that's actually Anna Wintour. Like they got her for this movie. Wow. Okay. Like <laughs> that. Then- yeah. That, that surprised me the way they did it too, where they were just shooting her from behind and you thought that it was just someone in a wig and glasses. And it's like, Oh no, they pull the camera around and it is actually her. Mm -hmm. And that was a nice little touch, which I think that there are a lot of little grace notes here where it's, they were clearly having fun with like, there's, there are some nice cameos that I don't want to spoil um, both like ones that will be appreciated by fans as well as um, people who really appreciate the passion. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, the, the geeking out that, that happened um, was at least from my levels, like this is, this is great. It's a delay. And like, I don't, it's definitely not trying to be anything other than it is, which is just a really fun movie um, that. Yeah, like there's not the stakes aren't super high and there's not a lot of um, 
a lot of drama, but I appreciated that. I didn't want to go and see these eight women at each other's throats at any point yes. in the film. Um, I really appreciated that. You said it's not trying to be anything other than what it is. And that's something that this movie is exactly what I think we need to see more of in theaters. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I, you know, yes, we need far more women in movies. Um, but I love that this movie, like other than that one line that was, uh, that, that's the great line that Sandra Bullock, uh, the Debbie Ocean had where she said, you know, uh, you know, like, why don't you want him? Like, well, he's a man. And, and she's like, because men get noticed, women don't. And, or like a man gets noticed, a woman does not. And for once, we don't want to be noticed. <laughs> and that was the only concession they made to like, you know, cause I'm sure I, I can guarantee there are going to be guys that don't want to see this movie. Cause they're like, Oh, it's just feminist SJW crap. You know, like it's just trying to shove all these women down our throat, like the Ghostbusters movie or whatever, but there's none, none of that in there. And I appreciated that because it was like, look, this is what happens when you have a woman write a script or write a script about other women. They <laughs> act the way women do in real life because shockingly, we're not all at each other's throats. We're not all being catty. We're not all drama and fighting and trying to be the best. In fact, nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, we just work together to get the job done because there's no egos and there's no chest beating, you know? And, and I appreciated that that aspect of the movie was just, it was just, Normal, watching women do normal women things, well, other than you know pulling up a multi-million dollar heist. But you know what I mean. Like their interactions were like just how women act normally, and I, it was so refreshing to me, like you said, to not see drama. That I walked out of it. I'm like, that might not have been the best movie, but it was entertaining, and I'm so fine with that. Yeah. Like I wish we had more of this. Absolutely, and the fact too that even when you get a female centric movie, if it's not a romance at its mm -hmm. heart, that's still one of the subplots. I appreciated that that was not really a thing here. Like, yes, there's a bit about, um, about Debbie Ocean's ex, uh, who's played by Richard Armitage, who is like, I mean, basically he's an accessory here. He does, I guess accessory in the like fashion term versus crime term, but I guess that too. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was not a focus of it at, at all in a way that I really appreciate. I feel like sometimes even in films where they're like, Oh, this is like devil wears Prada is a great example of a film that is not about the romance, but her relationship um, with her boyfriend and that becomes mm -hmm. a, a subplot. But I just, I liked that it was about the heist and about the way that these women team up um, in a way that was so much fun to watch. I had, I wouldn't say like super high expectations for this one, but I, I was looking forward to it and it absolutely met and did what I wanted it to do. Yeah. I feel like the greatest relationship was the one between Debbie and Lou. Oh Yeah. And it was interesting because we walked out. And again, that's another thing I think we need to see a little bit more um, in movies. And I don't want to put words in, in, um, in, I don't want to represent a group that I'm not a part of, but we walked out and one of, and I saw it with uh, another girl and a, and, or a couple of girls and a bunch of guys. So it was a pretty mixed crew uh, last night with my friends. And we walked out and one of the guys, like, he's like, so he's like, were Debbie and Lou together? And my one girlfriend were like, 
yeah, like at least at one point, like, and he's like, really? And I'm like, I thought they were just friends. I'm like, well, they talked about, I'm like, they, they laid it on pretty liberally. Like when she talked about them being on the rocks and that's why she dated that guy. And, um, you know, and they, they talked about like partners and like the way they communicated with each other and like the, the kind of flirting about like, Oh, are you asking me to marry you? Like, I was like, they made it pretty obvious that it, they were together or at least at one point had been together and that was kind of the real relationship of the movie. And Richard Armitage's character had just kind of been a side, like a side boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, side piece. But but they didn't, but it, it was done in such a natural way that it was like, we need, this is the kind of representation, representation that I wish we could see more of. Where it's just, it's not, it's just natural. It's yeah. just normal. It's just part of who they are but it's the, it's not the biggest part of who they are. Um, so I thought that this movie showcased a lot of traditionally underrepresented relationships and dynamics in a way that most Hollywood movies have really failed to do because it's either not there at all, or it's far too heavy handed. Whereas this movie showed a lot of just normal. And, and I liked that. Yeah. It was very, very matter of fact approach to, to their relationship, which was, so appreciated. I just love seeing them play off of each other. And I would watch that movie, just the two of them interacting. That's, that's really all I need, especially if, if their costumes come with it. But yeah. Uh, so to wrap things up on oceans eight, what rating would you give it? Um, I'd give it, I'd give it a, a B, I think, a solid B. It's fine. I mean, you know, going to the Oceans movies, you're not going to get anything that's like crazy in depth. But for me, I went into it wanting a fun heist film with uh, characters, you know, different character dynamics. And I always love, like I said, seeing a, I love when a plan comes together, seeing a complicated <laughs> plan, you know, kind of unfold and the mastermind moving all the pieces so i i would give it a solid b like it's an entertaining time at the movie and i think it's other things about it elevate it and make it worth going to see yeah agreed i i think i gave it a, a b plus in my um playlist review which it's funny like casting this against hereditary and be like they're both b plus movies yeah. uh, which is is weird because they're both trying for such different things and i think ultimately um they achieve it at, at different levels, but I, I just, I had so much fun. This is one I can't wait to, to see it again. My fiance is actually watching it right now and I'm kind of like, oh, nice. oh I could have, I could have seen it again, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, now we can discuss and I won't spoil it for him. So that's, nice. that's good. Um, great. So that is Ocean's Eight, which we're again, as with Hereditary, gets a resounding yes see it from from us um, without any sort of disclaimers I think for this one <laughs> um, so let's dive into our mini reviews what is your mini review for this week Alicia um upgrade so Ooh. I yeah I saw upgrade um I had heard uh, I didn't get to screen it but I'd heard you know good things because when I first saw the initial trailer for it. I was like, Oh, this looks cool. But it, the way it was marketed was kind of just like, you're like, Oh, okay. It's going to be like an interesting sci-fi movie, but like nothing we haven't really seen before. Um, did you see it by the way? I did. I came to it also after the screen, like once it had come out in theaters as well. Okay. Yeah. So maybe you were like me where it, I was like, okay, like it looks entertaining. I'll go see it, you know, for an afternoon or whatever. 
And I came away from it like really pleasantly surprised that it was, it kind of used some, um, you know, the kind of the, the whole concept of like artificial intelligence and, and, uh, you know, like bionic, uh, parts and, you know, kind of man versus machine. And, and it, it, it used that trope, but it did some really unexpected things with it that I haven't really seen in a movie. And I really appreciated, I, I generally hate the use of like GoPro in filming. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm like already cringing at the inevitable GoPro scene through the marketplace that I know Guy Ritchie is going to use the Aladdin movie. <laughs> like I'm already angry about that scene that I know is going to be in there. This is probably the first movie I've ever seen that, you know, kind of GoPro and like hanging rig, like work so well um, with the, with the theme of the movie and it actually adds rather than detracts and feels like a gimmick. Um, and I really appreciated the twist at the end. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Like I didn't, I definitely did not actually see that coming. So I thought it was a really good, like I, I can see it being like a cult, like a culty type movie. And I think Lee Winnell gets a lot of credit here for taking something that could have been a very kind of tired trope that we've seen already and doing some really new, interesting things with it. Yeah, I thought it was super fun, super gory. Like, I, oh god, yeah. So <laughs> the first scene of the guy's house, I'm like, oh, oh god, yeah, that's horrifying. I and I, I did have that similar reaction that I'll sometimes have in a horror movie, where I like gasp and then cackle. Um, and there's yeah. like, I had, I thought this one was so much fun. Like, the dialogue is not great <laughs> but yeah. but no yeah. one no one is seeing it for the dialogue um the the action's really fun and they did it all i think i can't remember exactly how much it cost um but it was on the cheap and looked fantastic mhm i was also really impressed with uh logan marshall green's performance yeah because i honestly haven't seen him much admittedly and i kind of look at him like as all due respect to him. It's like kind of one of those, like, okay, he's one of those, like, you know, generically good looking, like white dudes. Like he's fine. He's whatever. Like Jai Courtney or whatever. I call him like, like B list Tom Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I look at him I'm like, Oh, you're Tom Hardy, but not Tom Hardy. Yeah. Um, but he was really good in this. And I thought he did a really good job of, um, kind of capturing like in a lot of movies you see where it's like it, what I, again, something else that Lee Wanell Clearly, sorry guys, there are gonna be spoilers here. Um, something else that Lee Wanell I thought kind of turned on its head is the whole idea of the vengeance trope. Yeah. Where it's like, you killed my wife, now I'm gonna murder all of you. And like, you see that a thousand times. Um, what I really appreciated was how often in this movie that Logan Marshall Green's character was horrified at like the violence around him. And like, I don't wanna kill anybody, like, please don't. Or like, and like the first time in that, the house where he tracks down the first guy involved, like just the sheer like overwhelming visceral reaction that he has and like how horrified he is and how he's like, I cannot do this again. And, and I really appreciated that he wasn't, didn't suddenly turn into like cold blooded, like vengeful killing machine because it was a little bit more realistic and human. I thought, and I, I appreciated that, that like there were a bunch of different little like themes and tropes that we see play out over and over and over again in genre, especially in genre movies that Lee Winnell was like, you think I'm going to go there, but I'm not. And he would turn it on its head. <laughs> totally. So what would you give this uh, grade wise? I give it an A. 
Nice. I mean, I, I would, because I did not expect, like, I expected, like, okay, yeah, it'll be a fun, mindless kind of ride, but I actually could see this being a genuine, like, cult classic in, like, a few years. Like, it, it has a very culty feel to it, and and I walked out of it going, like, man, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I, I give it an A. Nice. Yeah, I, I had, I think, more fun than I I intended to do. Um, so definitely see that to, to everyone who, who has not yet. So you guys have a really long list of movies to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm going to add forgiving another. film critics, I guess. <laughs> right. I feel like this is, this has been a good, good couple of weeks so far. Um, so for my mini review, I am going to go to the exact opposite end of the spectrum and talk about, won't you be my neighbor, which oh, is nice. the, did you get to, a chance to see it yet? I haven't yet. I've been I've been seeing a bunch of movies, but um, there's like a whole list of movies that I need to break out my. I keep forgetting I have Movie Pass, and I'm like, oh yeah, I have that. I should use that. Um, so I need to go see that this week, or probably tomorrow, actually. It is so good. So, won't you be my neighbor? For those that might have guessed from the uh, title, is a documentary about. Mr. Rogers, uh, Fred Rogers, and uh, it's from Morgan Neville, who directed uh, 20 Feet from Stardom and Best of Enemies, and it is um, the, like, purest uh, film experience I've had in a while, where literally the um, the notes of the, the theme song start playing when the film opens, and I, like, started to cry and, like, cried through most of the film. <laughs> Like um, since Paddington too, like we, we uh, need like cathartic movies. Yeah. And it is like, I think that that's actually a great comparison of, of a film. Like if you love the like warm, positive spirit of Paddington too, like this is, this is going to work for you, especially if you were a, um, a, a childhood fan of Mr. Rogers, which was definitely on in in my house, especially since we did not have cable. But um, my favorite Mr. Rogers story, not to um, diverge from the film itself, is that my sister is two years younger, or is two years younger than I am, and she would kiss Mr. Rogers goodbye at the end of every episode um, until she got shocked by the TV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's fine. She's very smart. Um, but yeah, like that's, and that spirit, like of you felt like he was talking just to you to the degree where my sister wanted to actually interact with the television um, is so present in this film. It's very evident, not only how much he cared about kids on the show, but that, that wasn't an act for, for those people that want there to be like an expose into um, he was Mr. Rogers on screen, but he was someone totally different. That is, that is not what you're going to get here. I think it actually even like shows him to be uh, a better person who absolutely has, um, I think more facets and, and dimensions than, um, than we certainly knew as, as children watching, but absolutely see that it's in limited release. Um, I think it's showing in like 30 screens across the country. Um, check it out if it is playing near you now. And if not, keep an eye out for it. It um, is such a heartwarming, validating experience without ever being too saccharine, which I think is always the, the danger with these things. Um, I would give it, I, I think I gave it an A minus. I kind of go back and forth between an A minus and A, but I just really love this one. Um, and so that wraps it up from our end. Next week um, in theaters, 
we have uh, Incredibles 2, which is, you know, the I'm sequel to that one. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, so that I think is, um, is definitely the one that most people are excited about. And then again, at the opposite end of that spectrum, you have the R-rated comedy tag um, starring John Hamm, Jeremy Renner, Isla Fisher. Um, a, it's based on the real life story of friends that play a game of tag for 30 years um, and looks super fun from the trailer, I think. Uh, and then I think the other wide release is the remake of Superfly from Director X, who's a music video director and uh, protege of Hype Williams, uh, starring Trevor Jackson and Jason Mitchell. And then we also get, uh, this will not be wide, but uh, Gotti, starring John Travolta as John Gotti, um, and directed by Kevin Connolly of Entourage. So... Yeah, <laughs> we will we will leave it to uh, to the the guys to decide what they would like to uh, review. I'm sure they will announce that elsewhere. Um, and thanks so much to John, Will, and Maverick for for letting us uh, babysit their kid this week. It was super fun. And yeah, thanks for letting us take over. Yeah, it was it was great. And thanks to. Uh, Candice, as well as, of course, to Alicia for, for joining me. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It was fun. <laughs> Come back next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.